Welcome to Faith at Work. I'm Carl Grant, and today's podcast will feature the 2004 high-tech prayer breakfast in the D.C. metro area where Gary McCollum was the speaker. Yes, it's Veterans Day. And as we think about our military men and women and their service to this country, we should remember one other thing. And that is we have all been called to serve in an army, but not the army that you think about, but it's the army of the Lord. We have been called into that army. It doesn't matter if you're listed in the Fortune 500 or if you're unemployed. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter if you're young or old. We all have been called to serve in this army. See, God chose us before the beginning of time to be in this army. He chose us to be, as the Bible says, to be a good soldier. That's what Paul told Timothy, to be a good soldier, to not be entangled in the affairs of this world, but to be a good soldier. We were chosen for this assignment. And you might ask the question, well, why does God need an army? Why does God need good soldiers? Why does, in this day and age, why would he still need that? God is all powerful. Why does he need that? Well, the answer is, we are in a war. Again, not the kind of war that you read about in the Washington Post. Not, not the war that you read about on the evening or see on the evening news. That's not the kind of war we're talking about. From the time we leave our mother's wombs, We are in a spiritual unseen war with our adversary, the devil. And like any war, there is destruction and there are casualties in this war. You know, look around at the at the news and look around at at the issues that we see in our world today. AIDS and homelessness and racism and sexism and all the things that that you, you read the paper about our young people that are dying in this community every single weekend driving cars alcohol drinking and driving all of those all of those issues that are going on in our lives and we think somehow that 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 that's doesn't affect us we're in a war from the time we leave our mother's womb we are in a war and there's destruction and there are casualties and, and i'd like to use as an object lesson i want to share a little bit about my life. I was born in Richmond, Virginia. I was talking to someone today telling them that I, he said he grew up in Richmond and I told him I grew up in Richmond, but I grew up in a place called Wickham Court. It's a, it's a a housing project and 98% of the, the people that live in this housing project, even today are single women with children. Um, it's, it's not a great place, um, from a worldly point of view. But I, I grew up in this housing project, and at the age of 10, my mom died. She died of cancer. And I had a real chip on my shoulder. I was mad at the world. I was mad at God. I was mad at everybody. You can imagine a 10-year-old who loses his mother very close. And my dad didn't live with us at the time. So I, I really had a, had a problem with all of this. And I, and I heard the whispers of the teachers and the, the people in the school, the elementary school, who said, we know where he's going to wind up. We know that he's going to wind up dead or dropping out or just doing nothing with his life. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, I, I was a man by, from an age point of view. I mean, I was 29 years old, but I was a child in terms of my thinking. How does a child think? A child only thinks about himself. 
It's how a child thinks. A child only, only thinks about what can I get for me? There's no sense of sacrifice. How does a child speak? A child only speaks those things that are, that are, that are repeated to them. They repeat everything. You know, you know, gossip. You guys have gossip in the workplace? Gossip in the office? That's what a child does. How does a child, a child cries. A child belly aches. A child whines. And this is exactly how my life was. How, how does a child understand? A child understands only about today and now. Patience? You ever seen a child be patient? That was me. I was an absolute hothead. I was lonely and miserable. But for the first time in my life, I realized something that changed my life forever. I realized that I was in a war. Not a war, again, that you read about in the newspaper, but a spiritual war that was going on in the inside of me. And I could finally see, could see the, the destruction of this war. I could now, for the first time, see the casualties. I, I could now see that, that I was being childish in my speech and in my thought and in my understanding. I could see this destruction. And the real problem I had, the real problem I had is that I was fighting this war all by myself. I, I, I was totally disconnected from from God's plan. And this was the only plan that would guarantee victory. But I was totally disconnected. And therefore, I was losing everything around me. The marriage was gone. The joy was gone. The, there was no peace in my life anywhere. I was uptight about everything and everybody. Again, I was a hothead. And some of you who know me now might say, that can't be Gary. But that was me. And that still is me, minus Christ. So I tell you this story because I want you to know whether we like it or not, we are in a war from birth. And the stakes in this war, they're not just for who's going to rule this country or that country or whose political agenda is going to be on top. The, these stakes are for keeps. These stakes are about eternity because we all are going to leave this place one day. And the question is, where are you going to spend eternity? That's what this war is about. Now, I know there's some of you in this audience this morning who are saying in, in your heart, you're saying, Gary, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, you're right. We, we are in a war. Things look great on, in my life and, you know, on the outside. But on the inside, I'm a mess. You know, you're saying, you know, I have money in the bank, but spiritually I'm bankrupt. You're saying to yourself, you know, the company's stock is flying high, but when I take stock of my own life, the forecasts don't look too good. You know, I have a, you're saying I have a wife or I have a husband and, and they love me, but, but I don't love myself. You know, I have a great job, but I dread getting up in the morning and going in. See, there's a war going on. See, some of you today may think you're in a failed marriage and you're ready to give up. You think, and I remember this, when I was married the first, I remember thinking that I could do better being single. I remember having that thought, that I could do better being single, not understanding what a marriage was all about. Not understanding that marriage is, is a commitment that two imperfect people make to each other 
And they make that commitment not to each other, but to a perfect and unchanging God. And so it doesn't matter what my wife does. I mean, I pray after my marriage ended, I asked God, I said, God, give me one or more opportunity to be a great husband, not to find a great wife. See, I wanted it to be on me. This was he was going to now be my commander in chief. God, give me one more opportunity to be a great husband. And he blessed me. I have a beautiful wife. But see, it doesn't matter what my wife does. I tell my wife I love her mistakes. I love everything about her because it's not about her. It's about me because I've made this commitment not to her, but I've made it to him. And that's what marriage is about. For those of you out here who are in marriages, understand this is not about you and your wife, but this is about a commitment that we've made to a holy and unchanging, perfect God. Marriage is an institution that was created before the church. You read Genesis. It was consecrated at that point. Well before the church was established in the New Testament. There's destruction going on. There's a war going on. And this is what was going on in my life. Now, I don't know the destruction that's going on in your life. I really don't know. I gave some examples, but I really don't know. And I don't know the casualty count. I don't know all the things that are going on. But, you know, there's a popular commercial that you've seen. It says, but I do have some good news. The good news is there is someone who knows every single detail of your life intimately. He, he knows your past. He's intimately aware of your present day affairs. And he's already in tomorrow pre- preparing the, a more excellent way for your future. His name is Jesus Christ. He told us in the Bible that he would never leave us or forsake us. And that he would be with us even until the ends of the earth. He told us in this world that we would have trials and tribulations and that, but we could cheer up. We could be of good cheer because he has overcome every issue in the world. There's no problem that we have that he cannot fix. Not one. So if we believe that we're in this war and that without guidance and direction, we are doomed to live these miserable, unfulfilled lives. What then shall we do? Brett, that's the question we always ask. What then shall we do? What's the war plan? What's the battle plan? If we're in this war, what is it that we've been assigned to do? And I would suggest that this battle plan calls for us to understand three things this morning. The first thing we have to understand is that we were chosen to fight this war. I mean, think about this for a second. I was in special operations. Everybody couldn't serve in special operations. They were chosen. And everyone in this room this morning, every person who's ever lived was chosen to fight in this war. See, God is not wasteful. Tina said that God is not wasteful. God, God does not make mistakes. We were born in the right place. We were born in the right race. We were born in the right time. According to the will of God. He knew exactly what we what he needed in the earth. And also he knew all the bad things that we were capable of doing. He knew about the stealing. He knew about the lying. He knew about the cheating. He knew all of those issues that we grapple with. But in his infinite wisdom, he still said, I'm going to send those folks down there at this particular time. See, God knew that. Who are we to question God's 
decision to bring us here. We were chosen. See, we're not here by accident. We, we, you know, a lot of people, the evolution people talk about how we were evolved from monkeys and apes and all of this. Well, the last time I went to the zoo, there still are apes and monkeys. They are. So if they've been evolving into people, why are they still around? Just asking the question. I mean, if they're evolving, they should not be here. We should, you know, you should go to a museum and say, well, this used to be an ape and they evolved into people, but they're, you know, you see what I'm talking about. We're not here by accident. God put us here with potential. He put us here with a plan and he put us here with purpose that we were to take dominion over the earth and subdue and replenish the earth. That's, that's what we were put here to do. That we could live productive lives and fruitful lives and that we could add to the productivity of people around us. We don't meet people by accident. We're supposed to add to the productivity of people. And when we leave here, when we leave this earth, we should leave a deposit in the earth for the next generation. That's why, we're, that's why we were put here. Knowing this, if I know that I was chosen, I then can learn to love and forgive other people. I don't have to have this agenda where I'm trying to get back at people. You know, I think of my early days here with Cox. You know, we came here five years ago and there was a lot of work to do. And those of the employees who are here know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, there wasn't a day that went by. There wasn't an article in the paper about how bad Cox was and the service and people saying personal, nasty things about me. And my employees would look at me and say, well, aren't you going to do something? Aren't you going to get those? Aren't you going to? retaliate, aren't you going to do something? I said, listen, if you don't see me getting worried, you don't have to get worried. We don't have to hate people. We don't have to, we can forgive people. That's what Jesus said. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If people knew better, they would have done better, but they just didn't know. So we, knowing that we were specially chosen to come into these situations, to be in that marriage, to be in that office cubicle, to be around all of that darkness, You were chosen to do that. But also, not only do we need to learn to love and forgive others, but we can learn to love and forgive ourselves. I tell you, that was the hardest thing for me. I mean, there's no way I could have a loving marriage today if I did not forgive myself for what I did not do in my first marriage. Sometimes we're just too hard on ourselves. I mean, absolutely too hard on ourselves. And, and, and the issue is, again, if we had known better, we would have done better. But now that we know better, we should do better. I, you know, again, I, I think about the fact that God says, look, if you confess your sins, he's faithful. He's just he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, the very thing that caused us to sin in the first place, he'll remove it from your heart. That's the God that we serve. So again, the first thing we need to understand is that we were chosen to fight this this war. The second thing we must understand is that everything that we need to fight this war, we already have. So we can just calm down. Just just you can just calm. You already have it. I mean, just like you think of our soldiers, the soldiers have the tanks, they have the weaponry, they have they have everything they need to fight this war. And so do we. God planned it that way a long time ago before we ever showed up. You read the account of Genesis before man was even brought into the earth. Everything was prepared and God inspected everything. And he didn't say it was just good. He said it was what? Very good. 
He cares about us. Everything that we need to fight this war, we already have. Please listen to this. Our jobs, our families, our homes, our cars, our position in the community, our influence, our financial resources, our relationships, all the things that all this stuff and things that we somehow put so much stock and value in. It doesn't belong to us. It it doesn't. It all belongs to him. Psalms 24, one says that the earth is the Lord's and everything that dwells in it. That means all of us and everything that we have, it all belongs to him. And I believe that when we leave this world, when we leave the battlefield, when 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 we finally walk off and, and put our weapon down, that God is going to ask us to give a report on how well we were stewards, not owners, but stewards over the resources he gave us to fight this war. I believe he's going to ask for that report. And for so many years, I've ran around trying to do this thing my way and trying to, you know, accumulate this and get this and show people and searching for this and never satisfied. And, and, and there was no contentment in my life. And, but through prayer and study of the scriptures, I learned that God does not care what we do. He does not care at all what we do. He is only concerned with who we are in relationship to his son, Jesus Christ. And only when who we are pleases God will what we do please him also. We get caught up in all of this stuff and forget about the relationship that he's calling us to have with him. See, when we're in a relationship with Christ, we understand that all of our needs are met. Or oh, oh, I may not have everything I want. But I know because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that everything I need to fight this war, I already have. In other words, I become content. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul talked about learning to be content in the book of Philippians. He said in whatever state he was in, he learned to be content. Now, Paul wasn't talking about being complacent. Those who work with me at Cox know that Gary is not complacent. That's just not in me. When Paul talks about forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before and pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in God in in Christ Jesus, he is saying to all of us to be content with our past mistakes. Be content with our past failures. Be content even with our present state. But at the same time, recognize that we must not be complacent about the mission that we've been assigned. That's where the sense of urgency has to be. That that we must not be complacent about using these resources that we've been given to establish God's kingdom here on the earth. Therefore, we should have this sense of urgency, not about selfishness or self-centered initiatives that we might have, but we should have this sense of urgency about being first in joy, first in peace, First in turning the other cheek, first in gentleness, first in kindness and meekness, first in self-control and being first in love. That's what he's calling us to not be complacent about. In other words, let's not be complacent about using the weapons that will guarantee us victory. That's why the Bible says that love never fails. It, It never fails. 
I don't care what the problem is. Love will fix it. So we were chosen to fight this war. We have to understand that everything we need to fight this war, we already have. And lastly, we have to understand that this war is already won. It's already done. It's a done deal. You know, during my active duty service in the military, I spent a lot of time at Fort Benning. And I don't know if anybody's ever served at Fort Benning. That's the home of the infantry school. And at the infantry school, there's a statue. And on this statue, there are the words emblazoned, follow me. And, you know, when you when you look at that phrase and you think about it, you know, follow me implies leadership. Leadership requires vision. A vision that gives us an assurance that no matter what happens, we win. I mean, think about it for a second. Why would a soldier go to Iraq, fight a battle in Fallujah? What is it that causes them to do that, to put their life on the line? Because there's an assurance that we will win. This battle has already been won. See, when we look at the life of Christ, see, Christ was the epitome of leadership. See, God didn't shout down from heaven and tell us to get it right. But rather, he took on the form of a man in the personage of Jesus Christ, and he led us to victory. That's leadership. He he didn't demand anything from us. Understand this. God didn't demand anything from us. It's when you look at the military again, this is Veterans Day. In the military, there's no such thing as a demander. There are commanders in the military. See, there's a difference between demanding and commanding. Demanding says, I'll tell you what to do, but I won't walk that walk. A commander says, look, I'm going to lead and you can follow me. In other words, I can be touched with those things that you're going through, that that I can I can feel the infirmities. I know all of the issues that you've gone through. And that's what this that's what Jesus was talking about. See, talk is cheap. and, And instead, we have to walk the talk. You know, too many times people will will say that they're Christians and they come into the workplace. And, you know, I remember the first uh, week or so I was at Cox here in, in Northern Virginia. And this young man came up to me and he says, I've been praying for you. It's so good to have you in the office. He brings his Bible in the office and he's just so glad to see me. And he's praying and just I pray. And two weeks later, I'm firing this guy for falsifying records. Two weeks later. See, the issue is in the workplace It's not about taking the Bible in there and beating people over the heads. The issue is, are we walking the walk? If I'm going to be a Christian in the workplace, I should be the employee of the year. I should be the one when everything else is going haywire in the office. I should be the calm one. I should be the one with meekness. I should be the one with joy. When everybody else is gossiping around the the water cooler, I should be the one staying on the job, doing those things that are righteous before the Lord. And so then when people see that, when they see the walk, they're able to come to me and say, well, well, other people are are, are upset about this issue. And, uh, you know, the pink slips came down yesterday and 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 we're all upset. But you don't seem to be upset about this issue. The stock just dropped yesterday, but you don't seem to be upset about this. issue. How is it that you're able to stay calm in those situations? And that's when Christians should be able to talk and speak, because that's when the question is being asked. The problem is we've been talking, but no one's asked the question yet. 
No one's asked the question when the and they're not going to ask the question until they see something. And that's why Jesus came, because we had to see something. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? We can be leaders in the community. We can be leaders in the workplace, but we have to walk the walk. We have to demonstrate something. We, we have to have a we have to have something more than just our verbal witness. It has to be a lifestyle that people can see and say, there's something about the person. I don't know what it is, but there's some, what is it about you? And you can say, look, it's not me, but it's the Christ that lives on the inside of me. And the same peace and joy that I have, he'll give it to you. And he wants to give it to you. He, he died to, to give it to you. That's what, that's what this is about. That's what leadership is. You know, Jesus told us, in his earthly ministry. And he tells us even now, he says, follow me. He doesn't tell us to go someplace that he hasn't gone. He tells us to follow me. He says, I'm going somewhere. I, I've prepared a place for you. I, I, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Jesus is the epitome of leadership because he knew that because of his finishing work on the cross, that this eternal war that we all face was already won. See, this war is kind of like if you ever watched a, a football game and imagine the score is 60 to zero and there's two minutes left in the game. There's no way the other team is going to come back. I mean, the game is over. There's still time on the clock, but the game is over. That's how we have to be. We have to understand that that's what happened on Calvary. On Calvary, Jesus made an open public display of God's victory over our adversary, the devil. The war is already won. Oh, yes, we're going to lose a battle or two. There are going to be issues in our lives. There's no doubt about that. Things are not always going to look good on the front lines. We're, we're you know, the soldiers on the left and right who are going to go AWOL on us. That's going to happen. Insurgents might come in and hit our, hit our communication lines, and sometimes our prayer life is not going to be where it needs to be. That's going to happen. You know, a mortar round might land near us and, and take out a few people. That's all going to happen. But think of Jesus on the cross. Think of think of those last 12 hours. See, this was not a pleasant experience for Jesus. In the book of Luke, it's described how he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and and, and he was in agony so much so that sweat was like great drops of blood. Falling down to the ground. But he knew that it wasn't about his will being done. But rather, it was the will of his father. And therefore, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross for you and me. He had the joy and we all today can have that same joy. Because Jesus understood what we must understand today, that first we were chosen that we have everything that we need to fight this war and that the war is already won. I thank you for your time this morning and may God bless you. And I just pray that if those of you who are out here today who do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that you would make a decision today. You are chosen. You have everything that you need. And this war is already won. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Faith at Work. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm Carl Grant. 
Please follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Faith at Work Radio. And for more information on the High Tech Prayer Breakfast, please visit www.hightechprayerbreakfast.org. You have been listening to Faith at Work with Carl Grant. 